Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. If you want to partner with us, or if you're interested in more information, head over to brave.church to find out more. There you'll see resources to help kids learn more about Jesus, discussion guides for this talk, as well as ways our Brave Compassion team is responding to needs in this season. To catch the full Brave release, including worship and other updates, check out this talk on YouTube. Now, thanks for joining us. We hope this talk helps you find and follow Jesus. Well, hey, welcome to Brave Church. My name is Samuel Laws. I'm one of our lead pastors. And uh, man, it is the last gathering of the year. What a year it has been. Who feels like we started a new decade and then we lived an entire decade just in the first year? I mean, at the beginning of this year, I remember a lot of preachers just seen on social media, uh, they were talking about having 2020 vision. Get it? Because 2020 is good eyesight, right? So it's low bearing fruit uh, as a metaphor for pastors. And, you know, pastors, we can be kind of cheesy, but sometimes that, that's just how it is, right? We're not the coolest people with a microphone. But here's the thing. At the start of this year, having 2020 vision was a call to see from God's perspective. 2020 vision is having God's perspective. And so today in the final days of this year, let's take inventory. What have we learned? What what do we see from God's perspective? You know, one of the things that really stands out to me is how many experiences we've shared like wearing masks in public, social distancing, or, or things we've missed together, like going to the movies or in-person worship experiences. There are so many things that we have felt together, and yet there's a lot we've experienced that was unique. I don't know all the ways that this year impacted you or your family. I don't know if you got sick or if someone you know got sick or you lost a loved one. I don't know if you lost work. I don't know if you lost a friend over the extreme political climate that we weathered during this election year. I don't know what I don't know, but I do know something. There are lessons to be learned in every storm, regardless of how we experience this year, collectively or uniquely, God was with us and he was working in our lives. And how can we know this? Because you know what? God's character doesn't change. It's predictable. In fact, Hebrews 13, eight says, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just just say amen in your living room if you're feeling that, that Jesus Christ is the same, that God's character does not change. That is good news. And because through scripture, you know, we can get to know God's character. And because of this, we can know that at every storm we're headed into and every storm that we look back on, we can know and we can say with confidence that the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Today, as we close out 2020, we're going to look at a story of one of the most respected characters in the Bible. And, you know, there are a lot of great biblical characters, aside from, of course, Jesus himself. You know, we've got King David, we've got the Apostle Paul, we've got Mother Mary. But there's one character in the Old Testament who stands out in a unique way because he's a rare case of a person 
who really just made a lot of good decisions. And, and when you read the Bible, you know, you quickly realize scripture doesn't hold back the ugly, right? I mean, like many of the Bible characters were incredible people that were also very human with significant weaknesses. I mean, maybe you grew up in church and you had this aha moment when you got out of Sunday school or the elementary class and you realized, wow, the Bible is not G-rated or it's not PG and the labels got lifted and you saw the uncut edition and you saw what some of these characters' lives were really like. You know, in our culture, we often relate more to people because of our shared weaknesses, because it helps us let our guards down when we can say, oh, you know, she's just like me or he deals with that too. But there's some instances where a person's life is more inspiring than relatable, more of an example of of someone that we want to be like than we relate to in their weaknesses. The character that we're going to look at today isn't an example of weakness. He's an example of strength in the midst of the storm. He's incredibly inspiring, but he's not the kind of hero that we're used to. You know, we live in the era of the anti-hero, the the heroes with problems, the heroes with flaws. But this hero is a lot like Jesus. In fact, the Bible doesn't record him ever sinning, okay? He's a great example of faithfulness. But some of you, you know, you might be thinking, wow, how is my life ever gonna relate to this guy? I mean, he sounds great, but how am I gonna get anything out of this? Well, Well, the way that we relate to this character may not be by his weaknesses, but what we can relate to and what we can learn from is how he weathered the storms of life. You know, 2020, it will forever be marked by its storms. And today we're gonna learn from the life of Joseph because he went through a lot of storms. And because outside of Jesus, you know, he's the one of the best examples that we have of someone who walked through the storms and stayed faithful to God. Joseph didn't just survive betrayal, injustice, false accusations, times of famine. He thrived through them all. Let me tell you a little bit about Joseph. Okay, Joseph, he was his father's favorite and that made his other brothers really jealous. Okay, Joseph's dad even gave him a special gift. It was a beautiful coat of many colors. Now, Talk about a bullseye on your back, okay? You're Joseph and you're already your father's favorite. You've got all these brothers and now you get a special gift. So the sibling rivalry was really strong. And if that wasn't enough, then Joseph has a dream from God that basically implies that he's gonna rule over his other brothers someday. And he tells them the dream, okay? In Genesis 37, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Joseph's brothers were so mad that they wanted him out of their lives, but but they didn't feel good about killing him. Like they weren't straight murderers. And, And why kill him when you can get some good money from him? So they devised a plan to sell him into slavery. Can you imagine how traumatic that would have been for Joseph? I mean, your own family, your brothers, they've turned on you. Now, let's pause for a minute because this is Joseph's first storm and it's a big one. Like, like let's step away from the flannel graph with the coat of many colors and, and let's really consider what just happened here. Joseph was a kid. He was loved and cherished 
And now he's no longer free. He's in a stranger's home and he is in a strange land. Now at this point in Joseph's story, if Joseph never amounted to anything, we could almost find that understandable. I mean, if he got depressed, if he gave up on his dreams, took on some addictions, however he chose to cope with the pain, deal with the trauma, we would almost expect it. Like we wouldn't be surprised, but he doesn't do that. His life goes on and in a seemingly unlikely direction, despite all of his misfortune, Joseph thrives. Now we don't know a whole lot about Joseph and his dad's relationship, but we do know something. There would not have been a doubt in Joseph's mind that he had his father's blessing. You know, one of the things this story really reveals is just how powerful it is to have your father's blessing. It anchored Joseph's life. Um, We've all heard the phrases for the opposite, right? We call them father wounds or daddy issues. You know, we've seen the stats on the effects of being fatherless. And you may be watching right now and you've never met your earthly father. You may not have much of a relationship or you may have a terrible relationship. Let me tell you some good news, okay? Joseph had his father's blessing. And if you're a dad like me, our kids growing up and knowing that, that they have our, our blessing really matters more than we can imagine. It's the greatest gift that we can give them. But whether you had that or, or you're healing from the lack of that, Joseph's story shows us something more. It shows us the importance of a greater blessing, a greater blessing than our earthly fathers could ever give us. Look what happens in Genesis 39. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Joseph knew that he had his earthly father's blessing. He knew that his dad, Jacob, cherished him. But when all of that was stripped away, he learned a more significant truth, that he had his father, God's blessing. If we are faithful to Jesus, we have God's blessing. Even in the middle of the greatest storms of our lives, when your life doesn't feel so blessed. So the first lesson that we learn is number one, blessed ships don't sink. Blessed ships don't sink. Joseph's life have been incredibly devalued, okay? But he continued to live from a place of truth. He continued to live a blessed life. Even when the storm is raging, he doesn't cave under the pressure. Verse three says that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did. I wonder if you felt like your ship is sinking at different points this last year. I sure have. I'll never forget the fear I felt when the first lockdown was happening and everything was shutting down and we were all, you know, stocking up as if we'd be stuck in our houses and not able to get food. And I bought lanterns as if 
the virus was going to somehow take out our electricity. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, we were losing our minds, right? And there, there was a lot of chaos, a lot of fear. And I remember one morning realizing that I had lost God's perspective. I was so focused on the storm. I forgot who was in the boat with me. There's a story in the gospel of Mark where Jesus and his disciples, they've just left a crowd where Jesus was teaching. And they're traveling in a boat. And it says that a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, which was the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Many of us, we experienced moments like this in 2020. So let's take a moment for a second. Let's pause. You know, this is the end of the year. We need to reflect. Can you name your storm? Let's go ahead, name our storm. Maybe it was your marriage. Was it a fear of the virus? Was it your health? Was it your job? Was it your finances? Was it your kids? Was it your parents? Was it your living situation? Was it your inability to be with the people that you wanted to be with? Name your storm. Now close your eyes and imagine Jesus standing beside you as you face your storm. With Jesus, we're on a blessed ship and blessed ships don't sink. Look what happens. Jesus, he then says in verse 39, it says, he got up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? See, sometimes when people are new to our church, you know, they ask me, how do we do discipleship? You know, discipleship is a biblical word, meaning how we mature spiritually. But did you know all of discipleship can be summed up as growing faith? You know, I love that Jesus asks them this question in their moment of fear and the, when the storm is raging, after he's stilled the waves, he's quieted the storm. He asks them, don't you have faith? Discipleship is the process of growing our faith in God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. God uses people. He uses programs. He uses small groups. He uses large groups. He uses preaching. He uses conversations. And you know what else he uses? God uses storms. This year, God used storms in our lives to grow our faith. Have faith because Jesus is with you. You are blessed and blessed ships don't sink. Now let's take a look at storm number two. Just as we're, we're getting comfortable and Joseph's life is looking really good, one day, he went into Potiphar's house to, to go to work, right? He's just going to work, and it just so happens that no one's around except his master's wife. If you can see where this is going, say, uh-oh. And she tries to seduce him. And if you're watching with somebody right now, just say, she's thirsty, okay? This is so wrong. She has all the wrong intentions. And so she, you know, she was really a bad person. And Joseph was really wise and really discerning, and he was aware of the danger. And Joseph was a good guy, so what does he do? He runs. Except as he's running, he's leaving the house, and she's able to grab his cloak, and then she screams, and she lies about what happened. In verse 14, she says, look, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. 
He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And so then she tells her husband the story, and it says that he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and he put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Joseph is unfairly accused, and he's being dealt consequences that he does not deserve. Okay, This guy can't catch a break. The lesson we learn from this storm is that number two, when life isn't fair, we can still find favor. When life isn't fair, we can still find favor. Joseph looked like a bad guy. Okay, He looked very guilty, even though he was actually just passing a huge test of faithfulness. Okay, He was loyal to his master. Sometimes the storm is our character being challenged. As a pastor and a leader, I have to make a lot of decisions. And those decisions don't always make everyone happy. This is the weight of leadership. We aren't going to make everyone happy. And and if you've led anything, you know this. If you're a parent, you know this is true. You're not always going to make all of your kids happy. Uh, We don't always get what we want. But we have to be careful what we do with those feelings when we don't get what we want. Because the spirit of the age is accusation. In fact, Satan in the Bible, he's referred to as the accuser. It's an accuser's spirit that can take a disagreement and, and then just take it a step further and start attacking the person's character that we disagree with. Potiphar's wife, she didn't get what she wanted and she didn't like that. So she told a story and she attacked Joseph's character and he was thrown into prison. So what happened to Joseph was not fair, but God was still with him and he still had God's favor. Continuing on, it says, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. And he showed him kindness and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and he gave him success in whatever he did. Ultimately, this would put Joseph in proximity to the Pharaoh's cupbearer and the chief baker. God allowed him to interpret the dreams that they were having in prison. And years later, after the cupbearer had returned to good graces with the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh then had a dream and he needed to interpret it and he didn't know who could interpret it. And then he remembered Joseph, the guy he met in prison. And so this was Joseph's opportunity to gain favor with Pharaoh. And he did. And because God revealed to Joseph the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream, they saw the next storm coming and could prepare. See, God revealed to Joseph that seven years of prosperity were coming but they would be followed by seven years of famine. And this led to Joseph gaining so much favor that he was made ruler over all of Egypt. Okay, so let's, let's just recap here for a second. You know, Joseph when, went from being sold into slavery, being falsely accused, and then thrown into prison to ruler over all of Egypt. So what can we learn from this final storm? And what lessons can we learn so far? Number one, blessed ships don't sink. And number two, when life isn't fair, we can still find favor. And lastly, with God, the hardest years can bear the most fruit. The hardest years can bear the most fruit. You know, this famine has swept the land and, and Joseph's family, they've run out of food. And so they, had, they were desperate. They had to go find help. They had to ask for help. And so they didn't know it at first and they didn't recognize him. But Joseph's brothers ended up right in front of him 
in their greatest moment of desperation. And check this out. When they realized they were face to face with their brother, the one whom they'd betrayed. Imagine this moment, okay? Imagine how scary that would have been for them. The person with the greatest power in all of the land is the one that they had counted off for dead, that they had thrown to the curb. And here is what Joseph says to them. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You know, Joseph says, even though you were out to destroy me, God was at work, even in the context of the evil that that came about in my life, even in the worst moments of my life, God was at work. Their evil was not God's will, but he is loving enough and powerful enough to do good, even in the context of the worst evil. He's not the cause, but he will use it. He is active and he is with us. As a side note, you know, I just, I just love how Joseph saw the bigger picture. You know, you know, he doesn't say, got you guys, like you intended to harm me, but look what God did in my life. He made me ruler of Egypt. No, that was a means to an end. The fruit of his life and all the storms that he weathered was that God used him to save many lives. This was Joseph's life purpose. See, when you see the greater purpose, it's easier to forgive and it's easier to let go of the pain. Listen, there have been some things this year that the enemy of our souls has intended to harm us. Maybe you're watching right now and you're not sure what you believe in or where you place your trust. But listen, as followers of Jesus, the Bible tells us who our real enemy is. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. See, we live in a war zone and this world is a spiritual battlefield. We live in the midst of a cosmic fight between good and evil. And the ultimate victory was won in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there's still a long, brutal war until the final ending. Just because we know who wins, it doesn't mean that we can afford to be naive to the battle. Evil is real and our enemy is active. And so even if you don't believe in God, you can't deny the fact that something is broken in this world that no human being has been able to fix. The enemy of our souls doesn't want us to see how blessed we are. When we're in the trenches of a battle, He doesn't want us to think anything good could possibly come from this. You know, apart from shipwrecking our faith, the devil's greatest victory is to distract us from living our greater purpose. 2020 is a year of planting seeds, seeds that will bear so much fruit in the years to come. You may not see it now, but the harvest is coming. You know what's so encouraging is as hard as this year has been, as much spiritual warfare as we've faced, just like he did for Joseph, God has been doing so much behind the scenes. The other day I was getting ready to go on a run and on my Spotify account, this thing popped up and it says, your 2020 wrapped. Uh, So I clicked on it and uh, one of the first things that came up said, one song helped you get through it all. And it was this worship song that I had listened to over and over again. And then it said, but a year like 2020 
required backup. And it showed five other worship songs that I had listened to so much. And of course, you know, everyone that week was posting uh, all their top Spotify songs and screenshotting and the things they listened to the most. But, you know, then I had this thought. What if there was a scripture that helped you get through it all? I wonder what that would have been for you. I know what it was for me. It would be Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things for the good of those who love him. See, as we look back, it's time to flip the script on our year because it hasn't all been bad. If we've turned to God, we've seen what he can do with our pain, our problems, and our suffering. We can point to how he's worked things for good. If you study how wine is made, it's it's the hardest of years that produce the best grapes. Whether it be a drought or extreme conditions, when the vine is stressed, those grapes produce the best wine. When we're stressed, our faith is tested and our trust in Jesus can go to a deeper level. With God, the hardest years can bear the most fruit. So as I close today and as we close out this year, I wanna pray a prayer of blessing over this new year, but also extend an invitation because we know every Sunday there are people joining us and gathering with us online all week long that maybe haven't turned to God. And you might be watching right now and maybe you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, but this year has really tested you and maybe you feel like you haven't turned to God enough. And this is a moment to either commit your life to Jesus or to recommit to your life, to turning to God. You know, it's not too late. You haven't missed the moment. Jesus is ready to step in the boat with you. You don't have to face another storm for the rest of your life without him if you accept his invitation. Let's pray. God, I pray for everyone watching right now. And I I pray that faith would rise up in our hearts. Whether we've turned to you this year or this is a moment where maybe we wanna turn to you for the first time and begin a relationship with you to make you Lord of our life, to see you as our King and also to see you as the solution that our heart has been longing for. But God, I pray um, that, that you would just fill us with your love, that we would recognize in this moment deep within our hearts that you are a good father and that we have your blessing and that some of the things that have been so scary this year and that have caused anxiety and worry and concern that we can actually end this year at peace and we can look back and we can see that you were with us and we can see that you were working and we can have hope for tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I just wanna share one more thought. You know, I was, I was uh, praying this week and, and studying. You might not know this, but one of the earliest symbols of the Christian church, of the early church, was not a cross, but an anchor. And the anchor, it, it symbolized the hope for eternity that we can have in Jesus. And if you prayed that prayer, and if you prayed maybe for the first time you came to hope in Jesus, The anchor is now your symbol. It is now the symbol and it it can anchor your life through any storm that you might face. And you can go into this new year with that hope. God bless you. We'll see you guys soon. Thanks for joining us for the Brave Church Podcast. If this ministry is impacting you, please consider giving to support what God is doing through our church. For questions or to get connected, please visit brave.church. We'll see you next week.